You roll over and see your partner sleeping next to you. Ever since your relative Dimitri was arrested on conspiracy charges, you haven't been able to sleep much. After all, your Polish neighbor and his family disappeared a few nights ago after hearing their distant cousin was caught up in a Polish spy network. It'll be okay, you say to yourself. They won't come for your family. You haven't done anything wrong. Usually this would calm you down, but your heart still feels like it's beating out of your chest. People don't even ask why anymore, you think to yourself. They just accept the arbitrary arrests. You take a deep breath and try to relax, but the thought of your family starving to death in some Siberian camp makes you nauseous. Everything seems so unjust. What have you done so wrong? You glance out the window beside your bed and look up at the stars. Usually, you don't believe in God, but with your anxiety and fear, you say a quick prayer just in case. Please, you say in a whisper, make them take me and leave my family alone. I promise I'll be good. As you sit there wide awake, you hear footsteps trampling through the hallway of your apartment complex. You hear voices. As you listen, you can barely make out someone saying your name. A tightness in your chest overwhelms you. Your heart drops as their footsteps approach your door. The loud banging on the door makes your partner jolt up with a quick gasp. It's okay, I'll see who it is, you tell them. No, they plead with you as they reach out for your arm. It's okay, you respond in a quiet whisper. With the light from the hallway, you could see their shadows under the door. You open it slowly, just enough to see who it is. Through the crack, you make out your landlord and his wife. They push the door open a bit and in a hurry exclaim to you, Quickly, there's a fire. Get your family out and come to the street. A blanket of comfort covers your body. You sigh with, with relief as your jaw unclenches. Thank God, you say to yourself, it's only a fire. I base that quick opening off an anecdote that was told in the Soviet Union in the 1930s. For me, it helps me understand to a degree what it was like living in this time period under Stalin or Lenin. On the hierarchy of terrible things to happen to you, Dying in a fire to these people, well, was well below being arrested and sent to a prison camp in Siberia or the thousands of other camps where you risk dying of disease, exhaustion, and starvation, among many, many, many other things. Now, there's a quote that is often attributed to Joseph Stalin. I don't think he actually said it, as far as I can tell, but it goes something to the effect of, a single death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. And that's pretty much how it was for these camps. To Stalin and the NKVD, or whatever the secret police was called at the time, these prisoners were usually just innocent civilians with their complicated family drama, their hopes for the future, and their anxieties were just ink splotches on a piece of paper. And there were many, many ways you could end up on that piece of paper. If a neighbor complained that you had one extra cow then you stood a very high risk of disappearing the next night. If a distant family member got caught up, caught up in some charges, whether real or bogus, then you were most likely going to get arrested. As I mentioned in the opening, the arrests were so arbitrary that people stopped asking why in the first place. The psychology behind Stalin and the leaders of the secret police and the camp guards always fascinated me as well. These people were killing torturing, condemning innocent people, and a lot of them enjoyed it. The Stalin, the mob boss turned dictator, this was just a normal part of creating a communist state. Sort of his ide ideology, like whatever the costs, whatever it may be, the end justifies the means.
well, what kind of justifications were we looking at from this guy? And what was his obsession, especially with the gulag camps? From the economic side of these camps to the molding of human nature, there were many reasons behind the creation of the gulag camps. They took different forms depending on the circumstances, which I'll get into. But to start, before you can really understand the full dimensions of the gulag, from the history to the individual's experiences, you have to understand uh, the founder of communism, Karl Marx. So we're going to go way, way back here to the 19th century and look at his writings and what he thought. And first we're going to look at his view of human nature because Karl Marx had a very different view of human nature. For thousands of years, philosophers were operating under the assumption that there was a human nature in the first place. Marx, on the other hand, essentially said there was no human nature. Okay, well, he said there are two types. There is the constant human nature, which is like hunger and sex. But there is also, more importantly, the relative human nature. Now, this human nature is not set in stone. Instead, it is dependent on these social structures, mostly the economic relationships between people. And we can look at history and see how human nature, as we thought it is, changes depending on the conditions that these people are in. In a, For example, in a capitalistic society, we think it is natural to work for money because that's how the system is set up. For Marx, we think humans are naturally greedy for money because without it we would starve to death. We think human hierarchies are natural in society because that's how things are set up in our families, in our work, in our government. Marx says the very foundation of capitalism is set up by competition. It's competition in the markets that grow your business or, or make you lose to a competitor. Competition to get that good job. Competition, competition, competition. So because of capitalism, the way capitalism is set up, which rewards greed, we are it is our human nature to be disposed to being greedy. It's not inherently our nature to be greedy. It's just the way the system was set up that molded human nature to be greedy. Because, right, remember, Karl Marx said there is no human nature. It is a product of the social relationship, especially economically. So because, you know, there will always be that one guy who may take more than you, or maybe he's he does it because he's worried you're going to take more from him. And it's just maybe this constant... You know, this constant cycle. So to Marx, human nature adapts to the way the capitalist, capitalist system is set up. You know, because human nature is the product of, of these social relationships, we can look at history to find times where humans lived under different social relationships and see, well, what was human nature like then, right? Historically, Marx talks about how old Indian tribes had no concept of money and lived communally. You know, right? So how... How, well, how could anything get done, right? If there's no money, there's no incentive to work. Is it really human nature to live communally? What about feudalism? Is that human nature? More like Marx said, there is no human nature. These systems are just developed by humans. And in turn, the systems develop and transform humans within them. Eric Fromm writes, quote, Man's potential for Marx is given potential. Man is, as it were, the human raw material, which, as such, cannot be changed, just as the brain structure has remained the same since the dawn of history. Yet, man does change in the course of history. He develops himself. He transforms himself. He is the product of history. Since he makes his history, he is his own product. 
History is the history of man's self-realization. It is nothing but the self-creation of man through the process of his work and his production. Here he's quoting Marx. He says, quote, The whole of what is called world history is nothing but the creation of man by human labor and the emergence of nature from man. He therefore has the evident and irrefutable proof of his self-creation of his own origins. End quote. You know, if, if human nature is malleable and depends on the system in place, then communism or communists would look entirely different. Don't you agree? True communists to us, people whose nature is no longer an outcome of capitalism or feudalism or any of these other systems, right? These people look entirely different. They may look like us. They may sound like us. They may enjoy a nice bottle of wine the same as us. But their relative human nature would look very, very different from Marx. They would live their lives according to equality and not be driven by maybe greed like we are in, in capitalistic, capitalistic society. And to achieve this, for a communist state, there would have to be a liquidation of a certain class of people. People who have an incentive to maintain the status quo. People who are on top of the hierarchy. Because no matter what you do, they will fight back. They will block your progress. And as long as they are alive, human nature cannot really change. Now, during Marx's lifetime, capitalism was just getting going. And it was, to be honest, pretty bad, especially labor conditions. There were no labor laws and machines were pretty new, so no prior experience was really required. Child labor started to come into demand, one, because you know they could do a lot of the same work adults could do, and two, because they could do it for a lot less money. You didn't have to pay them as much. And so a lot of children were used, and because of poor working conditions, dangerous working conditions, lots of children got hurt. Michael Ward, a doctor who treated children in a hospital, said, quote, When I was a surgeon in the infirmary, accidents were often admitted to the infirmary through the child's hands and arms having been caught in the machinery. In many instances, the muscles and the skin is stripped down to the bone, and in some instances, a finger or two might be lost. Last summer, I visited Lever Street School. The number of children at that time in the school who were employed in the factories was 106. The number of children who had received injuries from their machinery amounted to very nearly one half. There were 47 injured in this way, end quote. And remember, Marx was living in this time period where capitalism created lots of wealth, but also lots of suffering, sort of this reigning in of capitalism. And he believed that by the end of the 19th century, capitalism would have collapsed in on itself. For Marx, cap capitalism grows and grows and grows. The middle class would get outcompeted by the upper class and be forced to become poor. They, they would be moved down the class system. As time went on and more and more middle class people were pushed towards the bottom, the wealth would be concentrated into a small group of individuals. For the expanding lower class, there would be huge amounts of resentment. Instead of blaming a god for their situation, they could look up on a hill to a pretty mansion and say, you did this. You're to blame for this. And Marx believed, like I said, by the end of the 19th century, things have gotten so bad. And the only way for two differently conditioned sets of people to resolve their conflicts would be with force. One of those, uh, what's good for the group is good for the individual, 
and this would breed revolution and the wealthy class would have to be liquidated in order for there to be a new system a new order or a new opportunity to shape human nature Marx sums it up when he says quote the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways the point is however to change it end quote this is the end of part one of a multi-part series on the gulag i'm pr- planning to release shorter parts something a little more a bit more digestible and at the end i'll combine them all into one big part if that's what you'd rather do so thank you for listening please follow the podcast subscribe and let me know what you think And I hope you guys have a good rest of your day.